welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the Madden America podcast. This week we turn our attention to veterans, service members and military families. Madden America has recently launched a new resource for military veterans, which will provide news, personal stories and resources specific to veterans and their families. So, to explain a little bit more about this new initiative, I'd like to welcome Derek Blumkey. Derek is the newest member of the Madden America team, and he is editor of the New Veterans section. Derek served 12 years in the United States Air Force and Michigan Air National Guard before attending the University of Michigan, where he co-founded Student Veterans of America. For his work, Derek received the Presidential Volunteer Service Award and was recognized at the White House by President Barack Obama for his leadership in supporting returning military veterans. Derek, welcome. It's so great to get to talk to you for the Madden America podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that you are part of the team here at MIA. And, and you know, we'll, we'll get to talking about some of the exciting things that you're kind of involved with. But I guess first, really, to kick off, it would be really helpful if perhaps you could kind of introduce yourself for us and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and, and particularly about your kind of association with the military. Uh, James, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it's excited to be really, really excited to be on your team. Uh, I've been a, a follower for at least a year now, and it's been amazing to watch watch what you guys have been doing, but also uh, being a beneficiary of the products that you guys have been building. It's uh, it helped me immensely. So I just want to say thank you for everything that you guys have been doing to date and the, everything that you'll be continuing to do. So I guess background on myself, I did uh, 12 years in the military, six years on active duty in the U.S. Air Force, and then a, another six years in the Michigan Air National Guard. I uh, did three deployments to Afghanistan and Uzbekistan between 2001 and 2005. Got out in 2005, realized I wanted to go to college transitioned to community college, did well there, and then transferred to the University of Michigan. And uh, that's really where my career kind of uh, took its own start was within my first six months on campus at University of Michigan. When I transitioned to the university, I was a 26-year-old adult on the college campus of 18, 19-year-olds, uh, first-generation college student, just, just got back from Afghanistan the year before, uh, there, there was just a series of factors just stacking on top of each other that uh, added up to a difficult transition. And um, as, I, as I wandered around campus, I realized that I might not be alone, even though it felt like it. There was, I think at the time, 48 active duty veterans on that campus of the University of Michigan out of 41,000 some students. And so if I felt like a needle in a haystack, it's because I was. And so I ended up reaching out to some other veterans, asked if they'd want to be interested in starting a group uh, just to have a social network. And uh, really from there, it expanded from a student group on campus at the University of Michigan to what's now uh, the largest student organization in America. Uh, it's also the largest organization of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans in the country, uh, which is now Student Veterans of America. Uh, and I ran that for three years, partially while in college. And then... Uh, during that time, also got involved in legislative action to include uh, lobbying for the passage of the post 9-11 GI Bill, which has now sent uh, over a million and a half veterans and their families to college, uh, somewhere to the tune of seven, $70 billion plus dollars. Um, 
and the economic impact already starting to show uh, the, the benefits of having sent these folks to school, them getting out, going out and getting professional careers. Uh, is it going to be a boom to our country that we haven't seen in decades? So, and you, you were telling me, I think, when we, we spoke before, that you know the student veterans of America, in excess of half a million members, and many chapters around the U.S. And so, you know, what was it kind of your sense of you know almost being a misfit, if you like, in in college that kind of drove you to set up student veterans of America to to connect people? I think this is a lesson that we all learn is that great things come out of challenging circumstances. Had I not had those difficulties as I arrived in the university, I wouldn't have started a student group. And I certainly wouldn't have started that organization, which is now upwards of 1,500 chapters around the country and around the world. It was very much starting starting an organization to uh, have a place for people to go to be part of something. When in their service, you are likely doing the most important thing that you're ever going to do in your life, which is protecting your friends, uh, making sure your friends get home okay. And then you get out and you come back to civilian society and it can be challenging. It goes for, you go from hundred miles an hour to stop. It's kind of like, okay, what's my purpose here now? And I think part of the reason that organization took off be, beyond the, the unique challenges that, that veterans face in their transition to school is that they were missing that sense of purpose and connectedness that they had, which is, I think, a, a universal uh, emotion and need of all all people. People need to feel connected and need to feel part of something. And when you don't have those things, people can struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Derek, you started to talk there about some of the particular challenges of of serving and then you know, entering civilian life and, and having to adapt. And, you know, clearly there are pressures on service members and veterans. And Madden America, through, you know, through you with your help is, is you know, we're going to start to try and address some of those challenges. But I just wonder if we could talk about, you know, where kind of military service and, and psychiatry kind of come to interact perhaps in, in civilian life and perhaps some of the unique challenges facing those who have served and then then are reintegrating i I think one of the one of the things that i had focused on when when we were building student veterans america and which i I ran that for about three years before leaving to build a new national mental health program for the department of veterans affairs Um, but one of the things that we focused on and i focused on throughout my time there and, and to this day is challenging the misconception that all veterans are broken that uh, we're, we're this lot that needs special help uh, because we have special challenges uh, and, and stigmas associated with it. For those that served in the military in recent years, uh, from Vietnam to Gulf War to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and other places around the world, we don't see ourselves as broken. Uh, we don't see ourselves as needing special care at all times. Um, and so when I see this generation and I see this population um, I see that there may be some unique needs that we might have, but that that we're not broken, and that if we are tooled correctly on our transition out, and we're given the proper resources, that we can do equally, if not more, amazing things we did in uniform uh, now today. I'll, I'll talk to my personal experience, and so my personal experience isn't from coming from military and winding up needing um, counseling or support. 
my experience came from the technology startup industry. And so on active duty, I was fortunate. I deployed to Afghanistan and Uzbekistan, but during my deployments, the most I ever had was rocket attacks and they weren't very targeted. They, they were fairly infrequent while I was there. Uh, I, I never felt like I was in real, real danger. There were a couple of times, but nothing that I could speak of. And so when we're talking about folks coming back with combat stress, uh, I, I was fortunate that I never was exposed to any real trauma while I was over there. My trauma really came from when I was starting a technology company. And uh, a lot of entrepreneurs will tell you this and they'll say pretty much the same exact things that I'm saying is that uh, starting a technology company is like one of the most challenging things anyone can ever do. Uh, it, it is constant stress at all times. Uh, you're dealing with investors, you're dealing with engineers, you're dealing with designers, you're dealing with marketers, lawyers. It, it is multifaceted and the stress and pressure is coming from every single direction. And um, the challenge that I, I found myself in was not long before starting my technology company in New York City, I had uh, gone to a psychiatrist because I'd gotten behind in a couple of classes. I was uh, taking classes at Fordham's MBA program. I was looking to pad my resume for my applications to Harvard Business School and to Stanford Business School. And uh, I got behind in the classes and I remembered that I'd been diagnosed as a kid with ADHD, uh, completely ignoring the fact that I was bullied as a kid and uh, completely ignoring social factors. So I remembered I got diagnosed with ADHD as a kid and then um, I realized, hey, I know a solution to this. And so I went to uh, a private practice psychiatrist and went in, got diagnosed, walked out with a prescription of Adderall. A couple months later, I aced calculus. Great problem is that it stayed on the Adderall. And then I started having side effects from the Adderall. I started having issues of sleeping. And so Ambien was added to the mix and then gabapentin for anxiety because uh, here I am now running a technology company. At that point, bootstrapping. Uh, subletting my apartment to just to make this thing work, sleeping on friends' couches, like whatever it took, I was going to do. So I've got this massive stress there. And then I'm also on Adderall. And so as an amphetamine, like it amps you and increases your anxiety. Uh, so there I am probably at this point, the stress alone of the company is plenty enough to break most people, but it's also plenty enough to keep you motivated and keep you on point. Like you don't need to be worrying about your lack of focus at this time, like everything is on fire and it's your job to make sure none of these fires get too big that they burn the whole barn down. So that's, that's your whole, that's your whole point in life and goal. In life. And you've got enough stress to keep you moving from fire to fire. So, so this cocktail continues uh, towards the end. My company had raised about a quarter million dollars. The company is on fire. The blaze has, has taken the, the framework of the building. And at this point, I'm I'm near the point where I can barely even I can't take care of myself. Um, I had a friend, and her boyfriend actually helped me pack up my apartment, and then another friend helped me move myself back to Michigan. And at this point, uh, I was borderline unemployable, borderline unable to maintain stable housing. And uh, this is a person that founded the largest organization of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. Uh, had helped to lead the lobbying and passage of one of the most transformative pieces of legislation in my generation, founded a technology company, built a national mental health program for the VA, and was an exec at two other technology companies, and had been looking at a bid for, for running for the U.S. House five years ago. And so now, 
my move back to Michigan, I can't even move myself. I can't even pack a box. And, and that went on for the next year and a half. And, and Derek, I was just going to ask, you know, in, in that time, were you, were you kind of aware that it was effects of the drugs that were, were getting you to that position? Or did you, did you just, did you kind of think it's just an effect of the stress and everything I've been trying to accomplish? I, I had no idea. I, I was, I was on the roller coaster. Uh, I was on Adderall, Ambien, uh, and Gabapentin. And then when I got back, Zoloft. And so, no, I had no idea. It, it was, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd take the Adderall. It put me on rails. Adderall is great if you know what you need to be doing, but if you don't really know what you're doing, it makes you highly effective at getting nowhere. Um, and so, no, I didn't know. So I'd wake up in the morning, take the Adderall. Midday, if my anxiety was peaking, I'd take a gabapentin, another Adderall in the afternoon, and uh, Ambient at night, knock me out, rinse, recycle, repeat. And this went on for a year and a half. I got back and I got put on Zoloft and it was crushing. I I was in bed for 16 hours a day for like two months. Uh, I I wasn't aware of how dangerous of a drug it was. So I'd be on it and I'd, I'd take it for a couple of days and I'd not take it. And I'd take it for another week and I'd not take it. And like, I had no idea how powerful the drug was. Um, when I went on it, it was, Hey, well, let's try an antidepressant. That was, that was kind of the f- framework from the psychiatrist. And at this point I was going to the VA for my care and I'd been going to the VA for three years during this time, the department of veterans affairs. It was, it was the most painful part of my life and, and no one knew it. Uh, my immediate social circles uh, collapsed to my parents, my brother, a friend and his wife. And that was it. Uh, my community would just shrunk. I just stopped talking to people. I stopped posting on social media. I just fell off the map. And now people are reaching out to me saying like what happened? Cause now I'm back. I, I like I've reappeared on social media, just like more active than I've ever been. And, and everybody's looking forward to hearing about what, what happened. And I'm kind of glad a lot of them are going to hear through this because when, when I, when I first started telling people, my close friends that had known me and they're like family for me over the years, it was really painful to see the pain in their face when they found out what I had been going through and they, they could see it. Cause when I first started recovering, you could see the pain. It was raw. It was like open nerves. Yeah. As you know, in, in kind of other interviews, I've spoken with people that have followed a similar path. You get on one drug and then that leads to another one. And then the adverse effects of that lead to something else. And you promise that the drug therapy will help you reintegrate and get back on with your life and engage with things and all the rest of it. But actually the opposite seems to happen and people disappear off the radar quite yeah. suddenly. And you said there, Derek, those words that doctors use, let's try this drug or let's try. And let's try seems so innocent, doesn't it? But actually it isn't trying it, it's committing to it. And before you know how damaging it is, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, I, I didn't know what I was signing up for, like at all. And I, I, I feel it was really naive of me, especially considering that I had, I had ran a national mental health program for the VA. The thing that really got me was that I started looking at my own experiences, and I started counting up all the drugs I was on—four, five, six—secondhand. Like, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? I, I, I then started thinking back of like, okay, I've been going to the VA for the past three years recognize that over the course of three years, I was on nearly a dozen drugs, six at a time, 
And at no point in those three years did I ever sit down with a psychologist or counselor at the VA. Hmm. For a brief period of time, I saw somebody at the NYU. Um, but at no point. Even worse is the reality is, is that I probably didn't even need a counselor for a lot of this. Like, I just needed to not be on these drugs. Hmm. And uh, when I recognized that, I started withdrawing myself. Uh, I did some brief research. I hadn't yet found Mad in America. <laughs> Otherwise, my my taper schedule may have been quite different. And I found, uh, I, I started withdrawing. I came off of, I think, five drugs or so over the course of a month. Uh, I was fortunate. I didn't have, I wasn't taking any benzodiazepines. So thank God for that. Um, I, I, and I had no issues with any of the other meds, uh, Adderall, anything else, Ambien, none of it. The issue that, that I did have was though was with the Zoloft. And I did the taper for close to a month, got down to the last pill, took my last pill on a Wednesday. Thursday, I'm feeling like crap. Friday morning, I go to my gym. So at this point, I'm going to the gym every day uh, to muscle through this, just work out. I'm doing classes at 6 or 7 a.m. every morning because I just, from experience, I've just muscled through everything that I've ever dealt with. And I didn't see this being any different. I'm in my doing the ladders where you step in and out of the ladders uh, quickly. And I'm like tripping over myself. I can barely put one foot in front of the other. And my trainer's like, what's going on with you? (laughs) And she knows me as like being an athlete. And so uh, it was, it was bothersome for me, but I I thought, Hey, it's six o'clock in the morning. Like I haven't had coffee yet. (laughs) Give me a break. (laughs) So I get to the office and now I'm falling into things at the office. I can barely stand up. I'm nauseous. Uh, that's Friday, Saturday. I'm, I'm in full blown acute withdrawal. My, my brain and body is breaking down. My ears start ringing. Uh, the sound that you get when you're going down the interstate at 80 miles an hour, hundred kilometers an hour. And that droning sound when you have your back two windows down and that is just droning and you just, you want to make it stop as quickly as you can. Uh, that started and it wouldn't stop. I started having brain zaps, which I didn't know what they were until I started searching for my symptoms. And that's what they're called hysterically is brain zaps, where you kind of have a quick flash. It feels like a bolt of electricity going from one side of your head to the other. And you have uh, kind of like a quick black spot where like it's as though you turned your head from the left and then you turned your head to the right. And that entire time that your head was moving, it was like just a blip. Dizziness, nausea, can barely get out of bed, uh, and at this point, I'm like, I'm panic stricken. The, the the brain zaps is like freaking me out, but it was the the ears ringing, that was the thing that was terrifying me, and I started researching and I I put together that this was antidepressant withdrawal, and so I called my mom. I left my meds four hours away at my folks' place. Told her, hey, go downstairs, grab the meds, because uh, I thought I was done with them. I, I thought I didn't need any of these medicate drugs anymore. I thought it was completely done with them. And so uh, my mom met me two hours between uh, Detroit and, and, and Northern Michigan, took the pill, and within a half hour, I was fine immediately. And on my drive back, an old friend who used to work with me and work for me at the VA, uh, he now runs San Francisco VA Mental Health. He said, hey, you should look at this article. And I took him half seriously because I, I thought I was becoming an expert in this and I figured out to learn about this or whatever he's going to tell me. And so I read the article and it's like front page of the New York times, this huge spread. 
people finding themselves trapped in antidepressants or people finding themselves, if they started antidepressants, they cannot quit. And it was at that moment of reading that New York Times article and reading the stories of others that I realized that this might be a bumpier road than I'd signed up for. And it, and it ultimately took me a year to get off of Zoloft during that time that that first 30 days, uh, I was downright dangerous. Um, I almost assaulted a colleague. I got it in my head that if uh, a cop tried to pull me over, they didn't have the right, there was going to be a police chase. Like the, the things that I was thinking were not sound. And it wasn't until later on that I realized that it wasn't just the ears ringing. It was paranoia. I thought people were listening to my phone calls. I got in my head that because I've been successful before with SVA and and legislation that uh, the pharmaceutical industry was listening to my phone calls. At that time I was barely employable if I was employable at all. And no one was listening to Derek's phone calls assuredly. And so Fast forward, uh, I started having pain in my arches. My arches started locking up. My calves started locking up. Thighs started locking up. I was sent to the emergency room for a suspected cardiac event. It, it happens to young people. I was I was 37 at the time, but turns out I had a bunch of muscles that locked up. Only later do I find out that these medications aren't selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, but they're affecting every major system of our bodies muscular skeletal and, and all and uh, uh, it wasn't just depressive symptoms that it was affecting it was affecting every part of you as i began to dig into this i was upset this had happened to me uh, but i was more upset that this has been happening to millions of other people around the world mm-hmm. and that one of their few sources has been uh, mad in america which has been amazing but as far as uh, a lot of the the mainstream mental health community what we're talking about here is like their backwater. Mm. Like they, they, they haven't been taking this community seriously. Mm. They haven't listened to the harms that's been happening to patients. Yeah. I, I could go on for this over this for hours, but I, I'm, I'm just happy to be part of this team working with you all. Um, because when I, when I first was withdrawing and I figured out what was going on, I knew I was going to be okay. I was going to get through it. That, uh, I didn't want this to happen to anyone else, and I kind of s- set forth to transform mental health and healthcare in America. And mm. this is one of my ways of helping to do that, which mm. is helping others learn about what's going on with them through the stories of others. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the, the kind of extreme experiences that you describe, you know, they... They should be the stuff of nightmares, but as you say, it's happening in many houses around the world. There are people who are intensely ill who haven't even the first clue what's actually happening to them because their prescriber can't be honest with them about the real impact of coming off the drugs. And, you know, I, I agree, Derek. I think sharing personal experiences as this is so important because they can't be denied. You know, it's easy to deny a a study that says there's no problem. But when you've got people sharing the true horror that they went through to get to the other side, uh, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, and, you know, likewise, Derek, I'm I'm really excited that we can welcome you as, as part of the MIA team. And, you know, I think you have a unique 
collection and breadth and depth of experience, both in the military and in technology and in your own personal experience of being diagnosed and, and treated and all the rest of it. So I, I just wondered if we could talk a little bit about the future and perhaps you know start to talk a little bit about how Madden America is, is going to start through your excellent work to try and reach out and connect with the, the kind of veterans community. I began talking to Bob Whitaker, I suppose, six months ago, even that recently. And uh, I told him I was working on some things uh, related to these issues and related to these medications. And uh, I was really just looking for his feedback. And I was looking, basically, I, I kind of saw the the MIA team and its network as kind of being the collection of the subject matter experts on these issues. And so I was looking for <laughs> to him is kind of like the brain trust of some of the things that I'm working on. And so uh, it, it surprised me when uh, he and I were speaking, he, he said, so we really have been wanting to do things to help veterans for quite some time now. And we, we know how much uh, this community has been impacted by these medications and these issues. Would you be interested in working on this? And I've, I almost laughed. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, so like I get to work with a guy that literally has written, not the book, but the books, <laughs> Mad in America, Anatomy of an Epidemic and Psychiatry and an Influence. Uh, what, I, what I would say is being required reading for all medical professionals. Every medical professional around the world should be forced reading for their careers. And so it's like, absolutely. And uh, the more I talk to people, to other veterans and other service members about Madden America and what this need might be, it was emphatic. Uh, I, I've been finding through sharing my own stories with others, that so many people are impacted by this. Uh, and it's not not just the numbers. The, for the veterans community, we've been dealing with a suicide epidemic uh, that's been rapidly scaling over the past decade. And, it, and it's, it's an epidemic that's been growing uh, throughout the U.S. population and probably a lot of Western countries, but it's been, it's been literally killing the veterans community. It rates double and triple that of the general population. And so I believe in 2016, we lost 6,079 or so veterans to suicide, service members and veterans to suicide. Uh, those numbers have been growing over the years. I think if you were to tally them all up, uh, they may even outweigh uh, the total combat casualties uh, in Iraq, Afghanistan, the Gulf War, and all conflicts leading up to and possibly even through Vietnam. And so, and, and this may even be in just a short, short window of a 10 year span here. Uh, suicide rates for young male uh, veterans is 45 per 100,000 uh, for the 18 to 34 year old males. And historically, this community, and uh, we've been looking at this, and there's a a uh, common number is thrown around, uh, which is 22 a day. And it's become kind of a, a branding thing at this point uh, of suicide awareness for this veterans community, which is 22 a day, they were saying, uh, dies by suicide. Turns out the actual number is around 20, but that's still five to seven more than the general population. Um, I, I, I couldn't be more excited about this role and, and couldn't be more excited to help veteran service members and their families, especially their families, uh, to tell their stories. And, and I'm kind of hoping that what we can do here is have Madden America be uh, their, call it Yelp, 
for the military and VA mental health care systems. Um, I'm hoping this can be a place that people can come tell their stories, uh, help themselves cope with their experiences, uh, and then a place where other people can come and learn, as I did, from listening to your voice over the course of the year. <laughs> like I, can't, I cannot tell you how therapeutic it was and how helpful it was to me as I was recovering and just learning, like hearing the stories, like uh, I think your second episode with Mo Hanna, uh, the horrible things that happened to her and her family, her losing her daughter to suicide. And and then after her daughter's death, uh, her uh, other daughter being placed on uh, antidepressants as well, and then being trapped on them. Th- that story, for some reason, stuck with me. And I- I'd imagine that that story would stick with others. But as we increase... Uh, exposure to the military and veterans community. I think that they're going to hear stories that are going to resonate with them Mm. in their own way. And it's going to help them uh, uh, towards a path of recovery and realizing that a lot of people don't have to have these drugs. You don't have to be on them. Mm. I I thought forever that I had to be on Adderall. Otherwise I wouldn't be effective or I had to take the Ambien every night. Otherwise I couldn't sleep. Turns out, I'm like multiples better than I was before <laughs> because I had those horrible experiences and because I also know myself better. Like I've through the past three years, I've been able to go to places that most people will never go to. Uh, while I feel fortunate to have those insights, those are insights people don't necessarily need to have. Yeah. I feel like for me, there's an element of divide and conquer about this. So, you know, your, your doctor or your psychiatrist gets you on your own when you're probably quite vulnerable and they paint this picture that, you know, look, you need the drugs, you need the treatment, you need to do things this way. But actually, for me as well, Mad in America provided a focal point for me to see that there were alternatives, alternative ways of thinking about it, alternative ways of talking with your doctors about it, because otherwise you're looking at Facebook or on social media, you're not really sure the information you're getting is reliable or accurate. So, you know, Derek, I'm delighted that through you, we will be able to provide that focal point for military veterans who can come to the page that we're creating together and and you're going to be the editor of, and they can get unbiased real stories and drug science and all those things, and they can rely on it rather than having to seek it all over the place. Yeah. It's a tough conversation with a lot of people uh, around these issues because we we've been taught and I, my bachelor's degree, uh, I double majored in psychology and political science at the University of Michigan. And so my psychology degree, we were taught how these drugs worked and how the interactions happen at the synapses as though it were fact. This is just how it works. Uh, SSRIs block the reuptake of serotonin. This is the sky is blue, the earth is round, grass is green stuff here. And uh, when we're talking to people now, people that don't know these issues that well or haven't learned these things yet, there's a significant learning curve and a significant unlearning curve. That unlearning curve involves having to eject a lot of what we've been taught for the past several decades. When we start looking at the drug trials and how these trials are put together, all kinds of red flags start going up and we start saying, well, wait a minute, if someone was abruptly withdrawn from their medication they were previously taking and then entered into a drug trial, 
and they're chosen to either be a control group or an exposure group. And if they happen to be that control group, they're not actually a control group. Like if you're going through active withdrawal from Zoloft or Paxil or Prozac, this is the worst you are ever going to be. Whether you came in there depressed or anxious, you're walking out of there with panic attacks. And as we look at these these trials, we look at uh, a lot of the papers that have been published, um, the drug dollars that went to uh, these research psychiatrists that put their names on uh, marketing papers written by PR and marketing firms. The, the depth here is just, if we're talking about madness, this is madness. Like this, this is insanity that, that we've gone this long allowing our society to be harmed in at such a scale. We never would have pieced this together because everything we've been tell, told from the experts is that these drugs are safe. And hey, let's try this. Yeah, you know, you said it so well earlier. That let's try, insert drug name here, that let's try is so chilling when you think about it because it yeah. sounds so innocuous, doesn't it? It sounds so innocent, but it can lead people to the darkest places imaginable. Yeah, there, there are better ways, and that's what I, I believe now, whether it's through kind of behavioral therapy, whether it's through other talk therapies, whether it's fitness, diet, or in fact, all of these things. I mean, that's where we're going. I mean, I'm actually starting a new nonprofit focused exclusively on helping people become healthier and more connected just through 20 minute weekly walks in the neighborhoods of their friends, neighbors, and family. I'm just calling it walkthere.org. There's no spin to it. People hear about it and you can go to the website and sign up and go do a local walk. If you show up this week, great. If not, don't have to be there. There's no marketing or selling to this. It's all just helping people get more connected to their communities and become healthier. They're older and you just are locked in your house too much, or you're younger and you're trying to recover from these medications, or maybe you're overweight, or you're just looking to know your neighbors. These are the types of solutions we need to be looking at um, because the reality is, is that we're not as advanced scientifically as we once thought. So Derek, thank you for taking the time today. And, and, you know, I just repeat again, how, how pleased we are to have you as our editor of veterans resources. And it's been fascinating to find out about your journey. Uh, James, thanks a lot. This is, it couldn't be more of a privilege and it's just amazing to be part of this team. We're going to continue to do really cool stuff together. And I think the, the future is looking really bright for the path that we're taking it. So I'd just like to thank Derek for taking the time to chat and to say that you can find Madden America's new veterans page at maddenamerica.com forward slash veterans. And if you'd like to get in touch to find out more, you can email veterans at maddenamerica.com. So thanks so much for listening. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views and updates.